substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise me I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hey everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths, he's Robin Brownlee. This is Podcast 63, and the guest appearing on our podcast today, Robin, is a friend of both of ours, Bob Stoffer from 630 Ched, from Oilers Now. You can pretty much hear him everywhere. How are you doing today? I'm outstanding. How about you, man? Fantastic. Beautiful weekend. Got a little singed on my right side. I thought I had sunscreened everywhere, but apparently I did not. And that's fine. That's what summer's all about. Why Why just the right side? Well, I thought I put enough on there, but I, I, I realized, uh, as you can see, this side's got a little, I feel like a goal light on this side. I thought I'd put enough sunscreen on there. So it's very important. Very important oh, that you get the right amount of sunscreen on. I thought maybe you'd fallen down and landed on your left side or something. <laughs> no, I was fine. I just sat in the chair all day on Sunday and loved it. Hey, big news today. The Canadian Football League announcing officially a return to the field on the 5th of August for a 14-game season. Training camps, according to our friend Dave Campbell at 630 Chad, training camps will begin on July the 10th. The schedule is going to get released tomorrow, which is on the Tuesday and they'll also include all the information on stadium capacity limits, I guess depending on which province you're in, and also how they're going to get their tickets out to their season ticket holders and to the general public. More information coming this week, and I'm guessing if you just go to the Twitter feed for the Canadian Football League or any of your favorites that you follow in whatever city you're listening in, you'll be brought up to speed. But that's good news. I don't think they could have gone a second season without playing Robin. No, and, you know, 14 games is enough. I think that most people, well, there will be the asterisk crowd out there. You know, it, it's not a half season. It's a good it's a good chunk of games. The big thing that's going to come out, Bryn, I think anybody who's a CFL follower will know this. I'm hoping that the health measures in place uh, will help get as many people as, as safely possible. Uh, back into the stadiums because that's where a big chunk of the dough in this league comes from. Yeah. It's great that they're going to be back. Hopefully they'll be back with some live bodies in the stadiums. Well, the CFL board of governors unanimously said, we got to move forward. We got to move ahead. The other thing too, and Brian Hall brought it up on last week's edition of the outsiders that don't be surprised if the XFL is involved in some respects in terms of getting the league back on track because They've got plans in another year or two. So perhaps what they're trying to do is try to make sure that the league is viable up in Canada, that you don't lose any momentum, and maybe there will continue to be merger talks. But let's not murky the water today with all that yeah. stuff. We talked about that last week. It's just positive news from the Canadian Football League that they're coming back for a season, and it's going to start up in August. I think that's great. And we will be yep. uh, in Edmonton seeing the Elks 
taking on the Stampeders. And La- I, ho- I hope that Labor Day Classic is not going to be toyed with. Be kind of fun to watch the Elks, you know, make their way down to Calgary to take on the Stampeders and that kind of stuff. So anyway, it's exciting. It's fun. Looking forward to it. Be nice to see a little football again, uh, especially around Labor Day. All right, yes. let's uh, let's get to the playoffs. All right, okay, tonight at the we're taping as we usually do on a Monday, unless it's a holiday weekend. The Montreal Canadiens are in to the semifinal against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's going to open up in Sin City tonight. Not a lot of people giving Montreal a hope in this series. Congratulations for getting out of the North, but. Vegas looks like they are on fire and knocked off a hell of a team in the Colorado Avalanche. And really, they dropped the first two games, but rallied to win the next four in a row against a team that I actually thought was going to win it all, Robin. Well, I tell you, I'm looking at the final four, Bryn. Uh, I picked one of the teams to be there, and that was the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I tell you, it's... You know, anything unexpected or outside the norm, it's going to, I think it's going to draw some eyeballs. Um, the Islanders are a terrific story. Uh, no huge top end on that team, but good balance. Uh, they play as a team to use the cliche. Uh, well coached. Montreal, yeah. And Montreal, I had them, you know, I had them gone early. Uh, some people liked them in the in the preseason, but that was a long time ago. With the injuries, uh, the schedule, the way it worked out for them, uh, I'm surprised they're here, but I've said it before, I'll say it again. I don't cheer for a team, I cheer for a story. I'm not sure this has a happy ending, but man, Montreal's a hell of a story right now. Okay, so we have Montreal and Vegas. I tend to think Vegas is big and they're fast. I, I And I, lo- I love their goaltending. The goaltending mat- battle here is actually going to be a lot of fun to watch, yep. right? So so there's that. But in all honesty, I think Vegas is just going to be too much for Montreal. However, I thought Toronto was going to be too much for Montreal. So we'll see how that one stacks up, gets going tonight. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending champs, are down one game to nothing because they lost at home to the New York Islanders. Was I surprised? Mm-hmm. no. But I kind of expected that Tampa was going to basically uh, have their way with the Islanders. And now I bet you this one's going to go six or seven games just by what I saw in the first game. Yeah, I, you know, I like the Lightning and six. So that means they <laughs> they need to win four of the next five. So, uh, uh, or four or four straight, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the Islanders are a good story too, and and good good for them. It's uh, it's not playing uh, as sort of the form chart suggested it might. So I think there's a, some excitement. You know what makes the first round in a normal year of playoffs so much fun is that there can be upsets. Right. Uh, I think the, I think the teams that have gotten here, particularly Montreal and the Islanders, if either one of them wins. That's considered an upset, and, and fans love that. And sometimes they rally to the underdog. The smart money goes with the favorites, but I think fans can rally to the underdog, so it should be interesting. Okay, let's uh, save some of the other NHL talk for when we have Bob Stoffer joining us coming up in a few moments, and we'll focus in on the Edmonton Oilers and what they're going to be doing this, this coming summer and where Bob sees them kind of lining up and stacking up for the upcoming NHL season, which – 
Uh, I'm not really sure. I've, I saw some some uh, some stories from the National Hockey League stating that the season for next year will probably be released in early July. So that's going to be really tight off the back end of the Stanley Cup final. But starting to hear rumbles that the season may not start until the first week of November. And that's okay, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it would be a shortened schedule, 72 games. But this is all rumbles that we're starting to hear. But right now they still have a season to complete with this uh, Stanley Cup playoff thing they've got going. Okay, I want to talk about Euro 2020 for a second, which is being played in 2021 because of COVID. I don't want to talk so much about the soccer aspect of it because you don't care. But uh, I do. I really enjoy it. I I love the World Cup and I love the Euro Cup. It's uh, fun stuff for me. And, of course, I am of Welsh descent, so I'm cheering on Wales, but I also recognize that they got some work to do. They're going to have to beat Turkey this week if they're going to advance to the next round. But I want to talk about something that I saw on Saturday, and that was Christian Eriksen of Denmark, who just dropped on the field on the far side and needed to be. He needed to get his heart restarted. He just dropped. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there were uh, there were support medical staff on that sidelines, not far from him, and recognized that he was in really big trouble. They got out there. His teammates surrounded him while they worked on him, but you could see by his legs that they had to give him a jolt of, of uh, electricity twice with a defibrillator to get his heart started. And then it's really, it's really tough when you watch somebody having to do, uh, you know, to pump somebody's chest to get their heart started. And for me, it was really, really difficult. You, you're, you're watching sports because it's the Tory Department of Life. I've always said that. But suddenly it goes to being a story of life. And it was uh, it was just so shocking and so horrifying to watch. And so much of it is being played out right in front of you. The cameras are right in there. But I don't know. I mean, you've seen the highlights, if you want to call it a highlight. But your thoughts on everything that you saw there? Well, I think too often um, people, be they media or fans, uh can get caught up in the moment and start talking about sports like it's war or like it's life and death. Uh, What we saw with that incident was life and death. And there's a clear separation, you know, looking at it, it was stunning to me only because you're looking at young fit athletes in the prime of their lives in the pick a number, the one or 2% of the population that is that fit soccer players who can run up and down a field all day long. And to see them go down like that, uh, it stuns you. And then, you know, then it sickens you if you, as, as you watch it unfold. And um, yeah, I don't forget when I see things like that, and we've seen them in different sports over the years, depending on how far you go back. But yeah, it's like, and people use the line, it's a cliche, well, it puts things in perspective. I think we should already have it in perspective, Bryn, that what we saw there is life and death. Yeah. Who wins in overtime is not. The other thing too, and of course, so I'm sitting there watching it and then I see that and I immediately stand up. And now I'm standing up for about 10 minutes watching them try to save his life. And and I'm thinking to myself, this is live. It's television. There's a lot of criticism of the networks for getting in too close to the situation. 
but I'm watching the situation now. I'm invested in it, and I'm hoping for the absolute best outcome. I really don't care. I don't need to have somebody get in so tight that I can see somebody's eyes roll back into the back of their head, but I need you to complete the story for me. I want to feel like this guy is going to make it, and so I, I, I always am very dismissive of people who say, I don't need to see that on TV. Well, I'm sorry, I do. I want to see this. I want to see this. I want to see a happy ending here. The I put it in my top three of things that I've watched where it's about as bad as it gets. That was one of the top three for me. Another one, Clint Malarchuk having a, state, a skate come up, slash his throat, and seeing the power of his body spurting blood. It's not a fun thing to see. But once in a while, we go from sports to life really fast. That one, thankfully, and I've known Clint for a while, and he's a great guy, and so that's a happy story, too. The other one for me is I was broadcasting a game in the Western Hockey League, and I watched Troy Edwards check Brad Horning of the Regina Pats. Uh, at the side of the net, Brad goes hurtling into the boards, and uh, uh, you know I, I think most people know the Brad Horning story. However... There was a time there where they were scrambling to save Brad's life. And I'm high in my perch at the Agrodome. That's what it was called back then in Regina. And all of a sudden, I've gone from having to do play-by-play of a hockey game to doing play-by-play of them trying to save a kid's life. Great guy, by the way, Brad Horning. Still in touch with him once in a while. But those are the three most awful situations that uh, that I can recall in sports. And there have been other ones we've seen. You you and I talked about guys we've seen collapse on benches. Jay Bomeister from Edmonton's one of those guys. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, sports can just turn in a heartbeat. It can go from sports to life just like that. Well, yeah, I mean, we, t- we, we talked about that. The one thing I will touch on, Bryn, um, I shake my head at the... You know, and it's social media, um, the Twitter outrage, how dare you show. I mean, I get it that it's uncomfortable. I'm with you. I didn't see a, uh, a uh, cameraman uh, being lowered by a crane down into the center of the scrum as they were uh, trying to save the player. But this, it's outrageous. Don't even show it. Well, no, if you don't want to see it, there's something in your hand called a remote um, feel free to uh, click away for a moment. I thought the coverage was fine in a really bad situation. It wasn't too tight. Uh, and there was just as much coverage when you saw him um, alert and up shot through the, as they were wheeling him out. Yes. Um, you got to cover that. It's in, it, it's unfolding in front of the world. You can't, turn all the cameras and take a look at who's buying hot dogs or whatever on the concourse. So I was, I mean, that's, it, it's totally a, a sidebar, but I just shake my head sometimes uh, at the, at the false outrage on Twitter, a really bad situation. Looks like it's going to turn out on the right side of things. Hope the athlete makes a, a full recovery, but yeah, it was a stunner for sure. And the other thing it just basically reaffirms for me is that, and I remember there was a little controversy when they, all these, the arenas in Edmonton, when they decided to spend money to put in defibrillators into the arenas. And, and all this does for me is reminds me that 
if those guys aren't right on the sidelines with the right equipment, this guy dies on the pitch. And I, I'm all for having the defibrillators in the uh, hockey arenas all throughout the city, and I'm sure all across Canada, because if it can save one or two lives, it's going to be well worth it. It just reminds you that that equipment may sit there and not be used for a long time, but is continually checked to make sure it's in working order, but it may save a life at some point. So uh, anyway, it's just, like I said, it was a numbing experience to watch it on television over the weekend. And it looks like there's going to be a happy ending out of this. And that is great because it did not look really good for a while there. Okay, before we get to Bob Stoffer and we talk about the Oilers and what's ahead of them over the next two to three months, we do have to remind you, and we're happy to do so, that we're brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. I was chatting with Brent last week. Uh, we do podcasts for him as well called Just Sold that you can get on any of the Ear Candy sites. But we were talking about homes across the country and how real estate sales are very strong in Canada. A lot of it has to do with the interest rates. They're very, very low and remain low. So now's a really good time if you're thinking of selling your home or you're looking at buying your first new home. This is a good time to get a hold of the team at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. It's real simple to do so, too. Just pick up your phone. People can still do this, Robin. I was shocked to hear this. People can pick up a phone. No, and, and, no way. And they can call people, other people that they want to talk to. The number is 780-464-0075. Now, if you want to email them, it's uh, the macintoshgroup.ca. Uh, and uh, Brent or any of his team members would love to chat with you. And uh, there's no obligation, and uh, and more than anything, they'll give you some solid, solid advice. And uh, I think that's great stuff. So uh, give them a shout. Once again, macintoshgroup.ca. And we thank them for being a sponsor of our podcast. Okay, get ready, because coming up next, are you ready for Bob? I know this is going to go a little long today, and I have no problem with that. Do you? Oh, no, not at all. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to it. All right, so when we come back, let's get to Bob Stoffer from Oilers Now and 630 Chad. Joining us on The Outsiders today is a good friend and a great broadcaster, and you hear him on Euler Broadcast on 630 Chad. You also hear him on a show called Oilers Now. You probably hear it more in the podcast world because those podcast numbers are monstrous, but the the radio numbers are solid too, but Bob Stoffer joins us. How you doing? Uh, Bryn, Robin, I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing fine, thanks. What, what are you doing these days now that it's a little quieter in the Euler front? I see you have a bit of a tan. You got a bit of a burn yesterday? Uh, no, I walk the dog twice a day. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, you know what? You guys both know this. I love to grind. Like, this is what I wanted to do. So, for me, other than maybe a couple weeks in August when nothing's going on around the league, uh, I'm prepared to work 50 out of 52 weeks. And, um, you know, I just I, I think it's a, it's a privilege to, to do it. It's what I wanted to do. I got a little bit of lucky. I got a little bit of lucky. I got a little bit of help, including 
from a guy like you, uh, Brent, on the on the radio side. Robin helped me out a bit with my column in the Edmonton Sun back in the day. And so I just pound away. And the best guys grind. That's the nature of the business. The, the general managers that have the most success are the ones that have relentless work ethic. The coaches that stay in tune with the latest technical sort of advances in the game and different approaches and tactical ways, and by the way, are progressive in their attitude with players, where they're sharing in the relationship, not domineering. Those are the best coaches. And then the players that work the hardest, which is why Oilers fans should be excited because McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nurse are their three most driven players. Those are the guys that have the greatest success. So stand that metaphor for, you know, this is, uh, I remember, Bryn, you called me and it would have been in about November of 2002. Said if you could sell Golden Bears hockey on CJSR, you could sell uh, a sports show on all sports radio station. Come in and do a few weeks for me. You had a personal matter that you had to attend to at that time. And, uh, and I made, you know, I tried to make the most of that opportunity. So even though the Oilers disappointingly got eliminated, you know, I still got to do a two hour show. I'm, I, I basically book all the guests for the show. And then probably as a rule of thumb, two to one, two on hour or, you know, for every hour on air, two hours of prep. So I, I tend to work at that level. So it's still, you know what, it's, it's not a grind. It's a passion and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is a little frustrating that the team didn't go further, but maybe we shouldn't be that surprised at the end of the day. Bob, before we came on, you mentioned uh, 15 years ago today, and we were chatting that, uh, oh, yes, on the way to Carolina uh, in that cup final. Uh, now to today, you don't have hockey to call with with Jack or Cam, uh, I expected you would, maybe not into the into the uh, third round, but certainly past the first with the Winnipeg Jets, a sweep. Uh, you've talked about this on your show, but give us your lowdown on why you're walking the dog instead of uh, calling hockey at this point in the year and how much of a surprise, if any, it is. Well, Robin, think back to 2006. There were two guys in Edmonton that publicly stated the Oilers would beat the Detroit Red Wings. And as I recall, our conversation on the air that day in Total Sports was that, you know, the way the games are managed in the playoffs, it mitigates skill, okay? And teams that are deep and can roll four lines over up front and that have the better goaltending can win series. And nothing has changed. I do think it's going to change, Okay. I don't think that uh, TNT and ESPN spent the amount of money they did to not sit there and sell the stars because that's what they got to sell to maximize their investment. I think you're going to see a, a significant philosophical shift in the NHL. But as it stands right now, the Oilers locked the depth and they ran up against a goaltender that had a 9.50 save percentage. And so it starts there. Hellebuck played great in that series. I didn't like Edmonton's start to start the playoffs. I think for two years in a row, the orders were flat out of the gate. That has to be addressed uh, with the coaching staff. who did a very good job the last two regular seasons. They need to, you know, one thing that will help next year, I, I think Edmonton's going to compete for the Pacific Division title next year. I, I think Edmonton's going to be hosting the opening playoff round. Fans are going to help. The orders miss the fans. It's a young team. Um, the coach is very even keeled. They played a Winnipeg team that tends to be emotional. So the Jets got better goaltending. They had a deeper lineup. Edmonton didn't jump them early, and the Jets got some momentum running in that series. And 
you know what? As hindsight being twenty twenty, I like Montreal to start earlier. I don't know about you two guys. That said, Edmonton could have come out of the North Division this year. Any one of those four teams that made the playoffs could have come out. In the end, it's Canadians, and in it, it also reinforced, I think, for me, maybe where Edmonton needs to address things in the future and building a little bit more depth. But I gotta, I gotta say, guys. I think we're going to see a seismic shift in how games are managed in the playoffs. They're not going to be managed. They're going to be called in years to come because of the, with the exception of the Tampa Bay guys, there's not huge star power left in the final four. No, I mean, Vegas was Vegas was second. The Islanders were like 12th. I think Tampa Bay was seventh or eighth and the Canadians were 18th. And uh, I think we're going to see a movement away from sort of third and fourth line guys ending up in critical roles in the National Hockey League, influencing uh, the standard that is set in the playoffs. I think that's coming. Well, if we think back to, I call them the gory years, not the glory years of the Oilers in the 1990s. Anytime they pulled off an upset in the first round, the goal set was real simple. We got to go in and find a way. If we could win the first game, great. Then maybe we might be able to take two. If we don't win the first one, well, hey, not a problem. We'll just find a way to steal one of these two and then take it from there. And when they did win, and 97 is a classic example against the Dallas Stars, they found a way to sneak out a win in that first series in the first uh, the first round of the playoffs. And when Winnipeg came in here and won that first game, I went, uh-oh, what they've done now is yeah. they fed the fire, and are they going to be able to get this thing back? And they just couldn't. It's probably the closest four-game sweep I've seen in a long time those games could have gone either way, with the exception of game one, which I felt Winnipeg really dominated. But that series to me, when people say, well, look at how good was Winnipeg? They only swept the Edmonton Oilers. Well, that could have easily gone a lot longer than four games, Bob. I, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, when you work for the Oilers Entertainment Group, you, you don't want to sit like, that's what I mean. I mean, I talk about the officials and it's, it's not just Edmonton, it's Colorado, it's Toronto. You know, I game six, Colorado and Vegas, like they were water skiing off Kale McCarr yeah. and Nathan McKinnon. Is that what we want? Or do we want our stars to shine? So, um, yeah, it was close. And Edmonton's lack of depth got exposed. Right. Now, the general manager finally has some cap space and he can get creative to add some more cap space this summer. Uh, and I think you'll see the Oilers... I don't think they're going to sit there and spend $6 million each on their top two left wings. I think they're going to spread the money out a little bit, maybe go six, four and two on the left side, try to sign with their first, second, third line left wing, try to sign a third line center and try to sign a third pairing left shot deep. So if they bring Nugent Hopkins back, maybe he's in that $6 million range, you know, do they get active with Tampa Bay? Who've got to move a bunch of money out here, you know, keep an eye on Alex Klorn. There's yeah. going to be lots of teams that would be interested in him. So and they're, you know, Clefbaum, what's his status? You know, right now, I, I'd say probably 75-25, he doesn't come back. So you better be prepared to sign a better second-pairing left shot D than what you had this season. So, you know what? They, the, they got the hard pieces. Yes. The hard pieces, they had the two best offensive players in the world the last two years. And now they got a guy who doesn't even play the power play, who had an unbelievable offensive campaign in Darnell Nurse. So... They've got some nice – and then they've got some support pieces coming, but they're going to need to add more support. And I, and I think that lack of depth, and frankly, Hellebuck. I mean, 950 versus 912. Yeah. It's a big difference in a playoff series. Mike Smith, 
I'm not sure Mike Smith's a guy that can start four to six games in a playoff series anymore. He's going to be like, I think I'm sure the orders are going to resign him. I just wouldn't have him start every game in the playoffs. No, I'd, I'd mix those two. Remember guys, you guys both were in Carolina in 06. The Hurricanes started that year. Cam Ward was not their number one goal. That's true. So mm-hmm. things, you know, things can change during the course of a playoffs. Bob, let's go through some of the most uh, talked about uh, potential moves and player signings or acquisitions that Ken Holland's facing uh, this summer. You've got a better feel, uh, I would say, than than most, uh, even though it's been a different year uh, for travel and being around the team. Um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, um, Flat cap, uh, bad time at even straight scoring this year, but you've talked about him more than once as, as being mentioned as part of the core. Talk about the dynamics that go into the decisions that'll be made during these negotiations. We can all read the numbers, but what can you tell us about Ryan Nugent Hopkins and what he means to this team? Well, I got to paraphrase Dave Tippett. He's the one, Robin, that talks about Nugent Hopkins and Larson. Like when I, I, I said this to Darnell in 2016-17. I said, you, Connor, and Leon are going to be the core of the team. It's inevitable. I said, all three of you guys are big, relatively speaking. Like they're all 6'1 plus. Um, watch how you guys work. And you could see it right from development camp in 2015. I mean, the Oilers won the lottery April 18th of 2015, so we knew at that point we had McDavid. Nurse was playing against McDavid in the third round of the playoffs that year in the OHL playoffs, and Leon was with Kelowna. And you could, like, as as I sat there and won. So to me, I could see what was coming, and then obviously once we got on the development camp, which was in Edmonton that year, it was pretty obvious those three guys were ultimately, and they, you know, what's interesting I said that to Darnell in 2016. In the 2017 playoffs, those three guys were not the core leadership of the team. This year, they were. Okay? Yeah. This year, like like even last year, Clefbaum in many respects against Chicago, even though as it turned out, he was banged up and, you know, was not, I'm not even sure he wanted to come back to North America. Okay? It was obvious this year that Darnell took that next step. So I really do think it's a leadership group of three. Okay. And then there's Larson, good player, Nuge, good player. That leadership of three, the work ethic and commitment they have, that is the standard for, I don't think it affects the guys that are younger than them. I think it, or sorry, older than them. I think it, that's, that's the example for the younger players. So I think Pugliarby, Yamamoto, McLeod, Holloway, they're going to learn from watching McDavid and Drysdale's forwards. And I think Bouchard and Broberg will eventually learn from watching Darnell. Darnell does things like some of Darnell's stuff is video-wise. He spends a lot of time studying. So I would say, you know, Dave Tippett's the one that reinforces the leadership group of those guys. Now, I have a question for both of you. In a flat cap, an $81.5 million cap, and we'll start, Bryn, with you. What would you pay Nugent Hopkins on a five-year deal, and what would you pay him on an eight-year deal? And then we'll go to Robin. 
That's tough. I, right now, the based on what I've seen, he's one of those guys that I felt had to step up in the postseason and I didn't see enough of it. And that concerns me greatly. I don't think right now that I would pay him more than six. But the question on a five year deal? Yeah. On a five year deal. Yeah. Okay. Now, now on an eight year deal, that's man, that, that one's a tough one for me, Bob. I, I, I you're, don't know. You're working backwards. You're working backwards on the eight year deal. Yeah. I just it, dropping his cap in. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too that we have to take into consideration here is that there's Darnell Nurse has got to be re signed down the line here. That's gonna be a big yeah. signing. But that's still a year away. But you got to be thinking about it right now. I, I, I don't know what I, what I would do for, uh, for him over eight years. That that a term like that scares the living shit out of me. An eight year deal, Robin. I just don't, I I don't think I would sign anybody to an eight year contract right now. Did, did I cheap I out? Do- did I cheap out by saying that or no? I would I would I would sign with David Drysettle and Nurse an eight year contract, no problem. Because because yeah. I, I you know. I know where, like, you know, in Darnell's case, he took two bridge deals. Darnell's getting paid. Let's just establish Absolutely. that right now. Yeah. If he wants eight times eight, that's what he's going to get. Robin, what would you do with Nuge? I don't put more weight on this year than I do on the rest of the career. I know it doesn't always work that way because it's a what-have-you-done-for-us-lately world in, in many ways. And especially when it comes to negotiations when it might favor the team this year weighing this year more heavily five years i see uh nugent hopkins and five years flat cap not his fault but his problem yeah uh the the money's different i i'm thinking five years at five and a half to five seven five uh somewhere in there and eight years, not to dodge the question, because it's not really a, a dodge, Bob. Um, I like what Carolina is doing with Dougie Hamilton. Go out and look around. If Nugent Hopkins, now nobody can give Nuge eight, but they can give him seven. Uh, if he comes back and there's an honest discussion and says, I can get this for seven, I want to stay. What can, can we do something? Um I don't offer Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I don't offer any player an eight-year deal at his age. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I just, that's philosophical for me. It's maybe big picture view instead of this player at this time. I don't want to be, and you can, I mean, you can make the back end light, but I don't want to be paying a guy. When you're paying a guy at 34 and 35, you're paying him for what he's done, uh, not what he's going to do. And I don't like that kind of deal. And too much can change now. The way I see it, the way the league's ro- rolling, I just I, eight years is a long effing time. Yeah, well, the only way you do eight is if you could get them down to like five million a year. Because then does that allow you to get another top six forward at five million a year that you think can help help? You know, I mean, you, they got a little. Let's face it, they got a little lucky. Yeah, you know, because nobody thought Paul Yarby'd come in and be the type of player he was. It was the exact antithesis of what he was before. Mm-hmm. He used to be he used to be perimeter and try to one-time pucks, which he wasn't overly successful at. And he came back. It was like the invasion of the body snatchers took place. Like <laughs> he, he was, you know, he plays in straight lines. He, he draws penalties. He attacks the net. Um, he separates guys from the puck and the forecheck, and he backtracks. Like he's a terrific two-way player. 
and they got him at 1.2 million for another year. So they're going to have to pay him as well. And here's another now. one. Yeah. And it's going to be at least four. So it's, it, it, it's going to be interesting to me. Uh, Cause I think Pulley could become a 20, 22 to 20, uh, maybe a 30 goal score. And, mm. and just remember Newton Hopkins has never scored more than 28 goals in a season. It's career high. He's never been a 70 point guy. He's never been a 30 goal score in his career. And people say, yeah, but he can play center. He's just an okay second line center statistically, but he's a terrific person and he does touch all aspects of the team's game. He does. He's, he is a part of the first unit power play. It's been the best power play in the NHL the last two years. The penalty kill has been second and ninth. He's in the first pairing that goes on the ice in most PK situations. So his advanced analytics and even strength are not pretty, but he is a useful player. So what's the and he's an oiler. So to me, I think this like Bryn, you said six million. I I don't think Robin they're getting him for less than six million. I think there's a sweet spot five to six years, and it's going to hurt to do it for the Oilers. Yeah. And I think it hurt. And I think it hurt to take it for Rick Vallette, who probably thought Nugent Hopkins could get Johansson or Duchesne money. Mm-hmm. He's and I mean Nashville Nashville couldn't even waive that those two guys right. No one would pick them up, right? That's how much the market has changed. So good point by you, Robin. Not Nugent Hopkins' fault, but it is his problem. Well, and I just want to add to that. Good teams keep their their best players, and I'm not down on uh, Nugent Hopkins at all. He's a real he's the Swiss Army knife guy in many ways. Uh, he can move around. A good guy and all that matters less to me. The core group, you know, you can be a bad guy or a, a pain in the ass guy and still be an important part of a team. So. Him being a, a, a terrific person, from what I understand, I don't know him like you do, Bob. Uh, all those things are a plus. What the group in the room thinks matters more than what any of us think. But if you don't sign Nugent Hopkins, um, now you're on to something. N- now you're on. Here we go. How do you how do you replace yeah. Ryan Nugent Hopkins for let's for argument's sake, because we've had some different numbers from five seven five to six two five okay give me a guy who fits in better and don't forget you also have to you still have to fill in another position too because now you're just you're not plugging a hole you're just plugging a new hole that you've created so i don't know if it makes sense to are there better players out there yeah uh do we know that there'll be a better fit on this team no you know what you're getting with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And that's the only thing that makes me nervous when we start talking about new players. Yes, you have to add, but man, they know this guy inside and out and he's a good player and he's not asking for seven or eight or nine. It's the question of whether it's just under six or just over six to me. You better think before you say, no, uh, thanks for coming. It's been a slice. See you later. Well, we don't know what the agent initially asked for. Maybe he did say, my client's got to get Duchesne money yeah. or my client's got to get Johansson money. Um, you know, and, and I will say this. I think they'll spend $12 million on the top three left-wing spots on the team. Okay? okay. Yep. That's what, that's what I think they'll end up paying. And then they'll use Shore as a fourth-line left-wing at 850 k So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean – 
one of the things, when our, somebody said to me, well, what about, you know, going out and getting Philip Deneau from Montreal? And as I'm watching Montreal in the playoffs, I'm asking, why would the Canadians not re-sign him? They got Kakaniemi, uh, you know, who's probably a second line, third line center for the next couple of years, and then eventually be a And then Suzuki has a chance to be pretty good. Like, he has mm-hmm. a chance to be a little bit smaller version of a guy like Patrice Bergeron. Nice like touch. Pretty, yeah, good two-way player. Yeah. So why would they not sign, like, why would they not sign Deneau to a five-year deal of five million bucks? You know, they're going to let Tatar walk. Tatar is represented by Rich Winter. I mean, right, he's not even playing right now for Montreal. Yeah, he's sitting. But Tatar had 58-61 point seasons the last two years, you know, before we got into the pot. It was only the back half of this year that he dropped off a bit. He's probably a useful second-line winger. Like, he could probably contribute in an 82-game schedule at a 50-point pace without having the same power play time. It's, a, it's an interesting one with Nugent Hopkins. And then the other factor is, Where's the fit with McDavid and, and, and Drysaddle? I, and I'm going to, I mean, I, my guess is they'd want him back. You, the other thing is what's out there. Does, does Taylor Hall resign in Boston? My guess is he will, you know, maybe three or four year deal in Boston. Does Gabriel Landeskog resign in Colorado? My guess is he does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're, you know, does, what about Jane Schwartz in St. Louis? Well, he might end up being it. He might end up. He's been hurt a lot. He's a smaller guy. The only concern I have a bit with Nuge is, is he tracking to be a little bit like uh, a left-hand shooting version of Kyle Turris? Oof. Wow. Okay. Okay, Oof. well, just. Yeah, no, it's all right. I, I see where you're going with this. Like, you know, like Kyle Turris in Ottawa was a hell of a player. Yeah. You know, I think he scored 20 goals five times in his there's actually a fair amount of similarity between those two players. Good on the power play. Actually played the same position. The only difference is Turris was a right shot, but they played on the left side half boards in the power play. He had a couple high 20 goal seasons. He was really good in the 2017 playoffs. Good support score for them. And, you know, at the first year in Nashville, he wasn't bad. But then the last two years weren't good. They buy him out. And... Like, you know, Kyle's got another year left at Edmonton here. He's obviously going to have to come back with a different uh, level of uh, compete and quickness in his game because mm-hmm. he was too slow, lost too many puck battles. So, if, I mean, if he wants to play in the NHL, he's got to be a different player. And so I worry a bit, you know, Turris was an 07, Nugent Hopkins is an 11, so he's four years older. Is there, you know, if... Like, he lost his game, and Nugent Hopkins, to his own admission, his game wasn't where he wanted it to be. He's, like, he basically said, I, there's some things I need to work on. So that's back to your eight-year thing. That would be the, like, I, I actually see some similarities between Taurus and Nugent Hopkins that have me a little, uh, the, but but Ryan's much more firmer part of Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, Taurus, Arizona to Ottawa, uh, to Nashville to be bought out. And then, you know, he's got a year left here at Edmonton. So just just food for thought. Hey, before we talk about the defense, because I'm fascinated by what's going to happen there, there's some real good promise there. But I want to talk about the Devon Shore signing, which is very confusing to me. The, the, and the reason why is I like Devon Shore. I think what yeah. they're getting him for is great. That's good cash for a guy who's going to play in your fourth, maybe your third line once in a while. 
But your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, and the, I guess the thing that I'm most amazed about is the uh, outrage or fake outrage by some fans out there at paying him that kind of dough. And, and I'm thinking, I think that's a pretty good value contract for a guy that is in your bottom six. But what? how do you see that? Well, I have a lot of time for analytics. You guys know that. Yeah. I think it plays a part. But I also think, I'll be honest, I think I see him good as well as anybody. I absolutely think I could pro scout. You don't go to scouting school. You either know a player or you don't. Like, I've had this conversation with some of the managers in our company. I know why I failed as a player. I can see it. That's why I could look at Craig Lupul when Joffrey was playing midget AAA in Fort Saskatchewan and say, yeah, he'll score 30 goals next year for Medicine Hat. He's like, we're not even sure he can make Medicine Hat. I'm going, I'm telling you right now he can't. Or look at, uh, I went to go see Jake DeBrus play when he was playing for Southside Midget AAA. Same thing. Look right at Louie and Cindy and said, yeah, he'll, he'll be a very productive player in Swift Current next season. Because, you, you know, so here, like, I think I can see, I, I think I got a sense and a feel for, it, it's about, it is about information, but the information shouldn't just be on the spreadsheet. Right? It's also, it's you, you've also got to process what you see. Yeah. And then have some reporter's instincts to uh, you. There's a little bit of tracer fire out there that sometimes is a little bit distant. Like you guys can figure out, Robin, you got a pretty good idea for sure. Who do you think drove the Devin Shore signing for the Evans and Oilers? The first to bring him in on a PTO. Who do you think campaigned for sure to get that opportunity? It couldn't be you, could it? We're not talking no, to the Ken right. Hitchcock. No, no. Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. Ken Hitchcock. So understand, right? Like, and I don't think that's the last Dallas star player you might <laughs> see the Edmonton Oilers look at. Okay. So just because Hitch has got a lot of time for some of the pieces mm-hmm. that were in Dallas and St. Louis, and he was still a consultant last year. So that's back to short. When the team misses the playoffs 12 out of 13 years, you're going to take criticism. Yeah. We have an analytics fan base that is unmatched. For whatever reason, it was most intense with Edmonton than any other NHL market. And and Brent, I'm going back to like 06, 07, 07, 08, 08, 09. Those guys were on top of it then. Yeah. They were ahead. They were ahead of the, the the curve. And so they were they were on it. And they often criticized some of the moves of the organization. Robin, you covered the team a lot. Bryn, you worked for the team. You know the certain challenges the others have had at times. Oh, yeah. On a, on a procurement front for players. Mm-hmm. So so I guess I'll leave you with this. I understand why the fans would bring up an analytics argument against Shore. And my response is the coach would play a factor in that decision. Yeah. How he gets deployed, what you're paying him at. I don't see how it's an overly risky move. And I, too, was a little bit surprised. Like, I would say to the analytics guys, pick your spots. Yeah. You're going after an 850, like, you know what? Yeah. And I have to do this. I have to do this, too, sometimes. When I go in there and try to get my point across, I got to pick my spots. I got to read the, read the room, read the timing. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, we have an interesting market. We have a certain percentage of the fan base that believed complete nonsense and BS about Taylor Hall that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And and then we had another part of the fan base that said, this guy drives play five on five. He's a pretty good player. 
I, I we, we had people in the Oilers organization at the time that Hall, when the Hall trade was made, they didn't ever think that Taylor Hall could be a, even in the top five for all-star voting in the league. Mm-hmm. Two years later, he was league MVP. So yeah. people are allowed to have difference of opinion, different perspective, and that's what we have with Devin Short. Yeah. Bob, tell me about this before we, we move on to the D, as Bryn mentioned, uh, because you mentioned him. Does it make any sense at all um, for Ken Holland to pick up the phone and inquire about Jake DeBrusque? That's going to be a tough one. I mean, I think if, if Boston re-signs Taylor Hall, that they're going to move a body out. And, and maybe it's going to be Jake. I'm not even sure at this stage of the game whether or not Jake wouldn't mind a fresh start somewhere else. I, I'll tell you this, Boston devalued. Robin, I remember sitting right next to you in 2007. At the end of the season, I think I asked about Brad Winchester to Craig McTavish. And he said, time for a second opinion. Yep. And all I could think of is, that's your player. That's your asset. While I appreciated the the brevity of uh, Mac T's comment. There's also the asset management. And it seemed to me that Bruce Cassidy on multiple occasions didn't seem to mind to criticize Jake DeBrusque publicly. Yeah. This is a guy that scored 46 goals the two previous years. He lost Jake DeBrusque this season. Yeah. Um, now he's going to make four point eight million next year, guys. He's a three point six cap hit. He needs to be qualified on that in the next season. I, I mean, to me, I think I, I'd, I'd say ninety percent DeBrus gets traded. Not sure what the uh, so you know it's a top fifteen overall pick. Mm-hmm. That's probably going to cost you something more than a lot of teams are willing to give up. Is my guess. Okay, and Boston is. And Boston's depreciated their, their own asset, in my opinion. Let's uh, let's shift over to the defense. I like a lot of the things that I'm seeing out of the Oilers' defense, I, and I think last year was a great learning experience for Ethan Bear, especially in the playoffs where he really struggled. He's got to come back and prove what he can do. But you're right about the cleft bomb situation. We don't know what's going to be happening there. How do you see the D stacking up? Darnell Nurse obviously is leading the way. I think the right side of the defense is set. Okay. So you're going to have uh, Larson will sign a four-year deal, I would assume. So you'll have Larson, Bear, and Bear's had, I mean, he had a tough conclusion to this year's playoffs, to say the least. Yeah, in a lot of and ways. Bouchard, if I was to buy, uh, try to invest low and bet high, I'd be doing that on Bouchard. I could see Bouchard being a 50-point defenseman next year in the NHL. Oh. He's, he's taken the he's taken over the power play. Like they don't need to buck up on Barry because they got a guy who's bigger, who's got a heavier shot, who's got and he he won't be out of the gate as intrinsically uh, coordinated with those other guys as Barry was by the end of the year. But he'll get there. He's real smart. I think the I think the owners. We're going to be in a pretty good spot here. Like uh, Nurse, obviously, you know, he's going to get a seven or eight year extension. That's inevitable. Broberg will play four fifths of a season next year in the American Hockey League. Yeah. Even if he thinks he's going to come over here and play in the NHL, he's not. He's going down. Um, and so to me, they got so their three right shot guys are 
uh, Bear Larson Bouchard. We, we know they have Nurse as a top-pairing left-shot guy. They'll have one of Lagason or Chris Russell, uh, potentially Jones, though I can see him getting picked up in expansion. And they got to, you know, if Clefbaum can't play, they got to sign a left-shot guy for about three to three and a half, four million bucks. But I can uh, take on a lot more minutes, be a better player for them. You know, I, I guess they could maybe bring Kulikov back, but I might be inclined to, to if it were me, to look a little higher than that. A guy with a little bit more ability to transition the puck. Bob, talk some more about, well, a couple of things. I was looking at that right side, and I was thinking if we're talking, uh, you know, 2022-23, I look at that right side and don't even blink with those with Larson, uh, Bear, and Bouchard. Right now, um, I think they're a little bit light on experience. I don't think Bouchard's light on top end, but that's a lot to pile on a guy who's got, what is it? Is it 21 games under on, on his resume right now? Um, here and now might, might that right side need some cover somehow? Only with a cheap veteran that can play as a number. I mean, maybe your number seven defenseman's a right shot vet. And don't forget you got Chris Russell. Yeah. No, Robin. I, I like, I look at the minute, like barrel play 20 minutes. Larson will play 20 minutes. Bear might play 21 minutes. Larson yeah. played 20. Bouchard may play 15, 16 to start. He'll work his way up to 18 as the season goes on. Trust me, it's going to happen for him. I'm not concerned on the right side. I, to me, they got to upgrade their second pairing left shot. D. That's the position that needs to improve. What about um, what about between the pipes too? Let's touch on that. And then I want to talk about yeah. the captain well, for a second after that. Okay, well, uh, Brent, what do you, I mean, I'll ask you two guys, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. Can they come back? Can they come back with Smith and Koskinen? No. One guy isn't coming back. And I know the guy I'd bring back for another one year. I would, yeah. uh, I would definitely, uh, the, I would have Smith back for a year, uh, Koskinen. And uh, it just, I know his numbers improved down the stretch. But the problem is, is that if the fan confidence level was never there, I, I got to wonder whether or not there was a bit of a confidence level in the room with. Koskin in between the pipes. It certainly appeared that way to me from the outside. So I think I would be looking to change that position. However, there's going to be a contractual situation. They're going to have to, going to have, going to, have to buy Bingo. them out. And that's uh, that's a, that's a bit of an issue. How many guys do you buy out? I mean, well, that's it. I mean, you got James Neal. Yeah. I don't know. That's, it's going to be the summer clearly for uh, the general manager to try to figure it out, but he's had some time to think about it. Certainly. Yes, more time than he was open. Robin, what would you do there? Well, I want Smith back because nobody fights off father time uh, forever. But here's a guy who's in wicked shape, is super competitive. Um, but I think you've got to bring him back with an eye to him being in something close to a tandem. Sometimes those don't work. I don't think even a uh, super in shape 40-year-old is going to play you 55 games. And if, if, you're, if your number one guy isn't 55 games, anything below that, 50-32, it's not an even split, but I start to call that a tandem. So we need somebody who's good in my books to play 30 games if Mike Well, Koskinen can play the 30 games in the regular season. Nah. Can he win? No, that's, that's, hey, a year ago, you would have said that about Koskinen, not about Smith. Yeah. 
when Koskinen was smart. But Bryn, you bring up a valid point. I, I mean, I I wonder where Koskinen's relate. Like, the coach didn't show a lot of faith in him in critical times. And then Miko, Miko had a decent ten game stretch, right? He did midway through the year. He had a, you know, the orders were three and six out of the gate, and and again he played four games in three hundred days. Remember that yep. four games in three hundred days, and then he gets nine consecutive starts in 15 days to start the season. He got worn down. Then he got recalibrated and was pretty good. But unfortunately, down the stretch, in his final three or four appearances, there were some horse crap goals against. Like, just Brutal. terrible goals. And you could see it affect so, the team, Bob. You could just yeah. see the team sag on the bench. Brand, when I played for the south side for Stu McGregor, we had a loudmouth goalie. And there were a couple times in games where he gave up goals. And I was strictly an offensive player, an aggressive, a big, aggressive offensive player who didn't really like checking, and I was supposed to score. But there were a couple times I sat on the bench, looked at my teammates, and said, "What the was that?" And if you don't, you know, if you don't think that's not happening sometimes oh, out yeah. there, you know it. You and you know what that can. You guys both, you know, played sports competitively. You know what that can do to a team. Yeah. So that would be so. My answer is I'm. I know I'm keeping Smith. I just don't know what to do with Koskinen. But I wouldn't be feeling very comfortable if I were the Edmonton Oilers bringing him back. I didn't like the way. I didn't like the way the uh, goaltenders were uh, deployed actually over the last month of the regular schedule. And I certainly, uh, I I just seemed like the team needed to get some momentum going, and they needed to ride the the big guy as long as they possibly could. I know he would have tired at some point. But there were times where they seemed to be getting some momentum going in their goaltending with Miko Koskinen in that last month when they would just throw him in there, especially when the games didn't mean anything. I'm thinking, those games mean something down well, the stretch. Well, you say that, but I think they should have thrown Bouchard in there more. Uh, the absolutely. I agree with that too, Bob. Right. I was perplexed on the deployment of the personnel in the final three weeks of the year. Yeah. I but just, the guy, it, that said, final 47 games of the season, Edmonton had the third best record in the mm-hmm. national hockey league. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some credit for what Yeah, you can't be too critical of it, but it just if if you're scratching your head over it, you got to wonder inside yeah. the room and and we've seen it. I've seen it behind the curtains where guys start to quietly question it, you know? Yes. So I uh, I I don't know. I it's Craig, wizard, Craig McTavish. Craig McTavish in 2006 told me he said you got to be really careful how you uh how and who you throw in between the pipes in the final 10 games of the regular schedule. And then you really have to be careful that you don't F it up in the playoffs. You've got to, you've got to pick a guy and you got to stick with him. If you got to pull him out midway through a game that you know, you're not going to win. You got to go back to that same guy in the next game or else you, you're, you can never have the team question anything down the stretch. And I felt that that's what would happen. Rock, you know, it's ironic. You mentioned that Bryn, because Maybe you should also stick with the same backup. If you knew marketing There's was that. a better backup than Conklin. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, exactly. Okay. Nobody saw I mean, that happening. Who, that's who you went with, right? Yep. So if he has marketing in there in game one instead of Conklin, do they win game one? Do we have the malfunction at the junction on the on the game winner? <laughs> well, that's uh, a, a shocking uh, game one winner. But, that, I mean, that's... That's how important it is to make the right decision with your goaltending in the playoffs. Uh, I got to talk to, I got to bring this up quickly. I'm going to talk about the captain. I loved everything I saw out of the captain in that playoff run in a lot of ways. 
Defensively, could he have made a few plays? Sure. But I liked his intensity level and the fact that we actually saw the intensity level on the bench because he's usually pretty placid looking, yet we know how competitive Connor McDavid is. But I liked the fact that he looked like he really gave a shit and was prepared to try to drive the team higher and higher in the postseason. Your thoughts on what you saw in those games? The biggest mistake people can make regarding, and he is gifted from the gods in oh. terms of what he can do physically. Yeah. Like Robin and, and Brent, you two guys, you guys were in your 20s when Bobby Orr was playing. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, we watched, we watched Wayne and Messi, you know, a team of seven Hall of Fame players. There has never been a player this advanced ever in the National Hockey League. One of these days, the officials will wake up and actually call some of the, you know, yeah. how a guy plays eight playoff games in two years and doesn't draw a call, I don't know. That's another story. The biggest mistake people could make is question his competitiveness yeah. and his commitment. Yeah. Okay? Like, he is not an indifferent guy. Um, he's, you know, he... I, I didn't travel this year, but... And we just give him a space. You know what I mean? Like when you're part of a traveling entourage and you're a team broadcaster, I basically just rotate a bunch of different guys in in terms of who we talk to. And and frankly, we use less of that than ever before anyways, just because of how things have shifted. It's more about opinion and less about the player interview. And, you know, you get a different interview on a game day versus a non-game day. Yeah. So maybe Connor doesn't always appear. Like I think this year was the most engaged he was on those Zoom calls as well. Like I think we saw – but you know what? If I had a mic jammed in my face after every single game and had, you know, three or four TV guys ask the same question every morning on a game day, you know, after a while, like, so, so where I'm going with this is the, bit, the, the thing that people underestimate the, the most, I think, with him is how driven he is and how competitive he is. Okay. He cares. He wants to win here. Connor Leon and Darnell, they want to make it happen here. Ignore all the other outside noise, the BS, the jealousy that the Oilers fluked off and won a lottery in 2015. Those those three guys want to make it happen here, and that was reinforced by what you saw, Brent, in the course of playing series against Winnipeg. Bob, you touched on it just now. I shake my head, and I'm not on the beat anymore. But the and and it's 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 become annual. This bullshit that. Well, Connor's not going to put up with this much longer. When you're that competitive, you want to win. Are you going to be whistling a happy tune and singing zippity doo dah after you've lost a playoff series? I mean, I don't know what drives that. It's not so much the fans. Fans chirping each other is a is fun, and they're and we just are more aware of it now because of social media. But media guys, like legit media guys trotting this out spring after spring where did where does that come from well some of it comes from toronto and if they had a hot clue about winning because they've had all that experience winning at the nhl level and observing right yes they have and seen you know i mean let's face it uh, as i reminded one of them earlier this season when edmonton started three and six and they were chirping at the Oilers, i said your city has not won a playoff series since Austin Matthews was six. And this guy in particular was bemoaning Tyson Berry. And I said, and the Leafs haven't won a cup since Tyson's father 
Len Barry was born. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, so if you want to sit there and, you know, I said, the Oilers did win. Oh, by the way, Connor signed an eight-year deal. He signed Max term. Austin Matthews signed five. And I, and I said to the guy, I don't think Austin Matthews is going to leave Toronto. But all you do is make the rest of the country hate you guys when you put stuff like this out. You're trolling. That's what you're doing. You're acting like trolls. And so, uh, now, if the Oilers miss the playoffs next season and the year after, then Houston, we're going to have a problem. They're not going to miss the playoffs next year. They're going to compete. They were two or three points behind Vegas two years ago. Okay? They're going to be competing for the top spot again. Like, people, I actually heard, oh, well, the Oilers are, they're going to, after this, I saw somebody from the NHL network actually say, well, they're, they're not going to, you know, they'll be hard pressed to make the playoffs next year. I'm like, are what you are you kidding? talking about? Why do you think Vegas and Colorado and Vegas were one, two overall in the standings this year? Because the three California teams were in their division. They're going to be in their division again with Seattle, an expansion team who are not going to be as good as Vegas was. Right. And then you're going to have Calgary and Vancouver in that division who both finished behind Edmonton and are trying to maybe find themselves a bit. I think the Oilers know exactly where this is the first off season. Ken Holland's had any money to upgrade his team. And again, I think he's going to diversify the account. I don't think he's going to bring in. So let's just say he's, he's, he gets Nuge done and Larson done. I don't think he's signing another $6 million left wing. I think he's going to $4 million left wing here. $2 million left wing here, $3 million third uh, third line center, 3 to $4 million uh, left shot defensive. How that all comes to fruition, we'll see. But I just, when I, you know, that's, that it's a narrative that gets pushed and comes out there and it's, it's kind of funny at times. I'm entertained and, by and, it. And, and, you know, I've actually gone at a couple guys at it. Not on Twitter, face to face. I've had that conversation with, like, you know, I, I'm just like, it's pretty reckless of you to sit there and, you know, and because people could easily throw it back your way that Austin Matthews only signed a five-year deal in Toronto. Yep. Yeah. You know? Like, nobody, come on, man. That's 80% of the fans in Edmonton were elated the Canadians beat the Leafs in game seven. I mean, Toronto, did they, how would you describe, did they not basically go down? Without much of a whimper in Game Seven, yeah, I was. And they had a, they had a really, they had a, they had a good year. You know, the funny thing is, when they swept the Oilers in March, um, they beat Edmonton three straight. I think Toronto peaked, and I think Edmonton woke up and realized how much better they had to get. Uh, that said, you know, Edmonton took six games out of Winnipeg and outscored them twenty-one-seven. And they needed to jump the Jets early in Game One, and they didn't. Right. They didn't come out. They didn't come out with a press, and, and I don't know what happened. And I we haven't even had a, like I haven't had a you know Dave Tippett did his end of the year media availability, and that's it. So, but the Toronto stuff at time, I, and I and there's some good people there working media that are really fair. Uh, there's some guys that play to the Toronto market. Some people might say I play to the Edmonton market hosting winners now. But one of the things we try to do on that show is we try not to belittle other markets. Like, in a perfect world next year, for me, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver all make the playoffs in the Pacific Division. That'd Winnipeg makes the playoffs. Right? Like the, yeah. And then and 
because then we'll probably see one of those matchups. So I'm not a guy cheering against those other uh, markets. And in, it's interesting with Montreal. Like, take a look at the division they're in next year. Yeah. But, but again, I'll ask you two guys. Do they have to change the way the games are managed in the playoffs? What do you think, Bryn? Yeah, I think that, uh, okay, so take a look at the top 18 paid players in the National Hockey League. 17 are out. 17 of the 18 are out. And I like to see the Stars perform in the playoffs. I think that they need to call more. Uh, you're right. Connor McDavid in all these years hasn't drawn anything. And we all know that guys are hanging all over him like a cheap coat. And you got to give the Stars some room to maneuver. You don't think that Nathan McKinnon started to feel the pressure a little bit? Because he could, he was not drawing very many penalties down the stretch, and he didn't have the room to maneuver. I want to see the Stars play. I want to see them have their space to do some magical things. So I, I, I've always believed that officials have managed games. I've always believed that. In the Western Hockey League, I used to make jokes on the air about marble officiating. The, the referees would have five marbles in one pocket, five in the other. Every time they would call a, a penalty against one guy, take the marble out of that pocket, put it in the other pocket, and if you check these guys at the end of the game, there'd be five marbles in either, in both pockets. I'd like to uh, – I hate managing the games, but they've got to do something to make the stars really shine and shine brighter. How do you feel if you're ESPN and TNT coming on board and you see that 18 – of the 18 highest-paid players in the National Hockey League, 17 are out? They've got to be saying, what the, okay, so we bought into this. We've bought into this league because we like the excitement level. But if the stars aren't playing – how is that good for the league, and how is that going to be ultimately good for us in TV ratings? I think there's going to be some big talks over the summer. Robin? Yeah, you know what? Teams need third and fourth line players, uh, third pairing defensemen to be solid to win. But those aren't the players that people buy tickets to see. You the NBA does a terrific job of showcasing its stars. A, the roster is much smaller and they play more of the game, but the McDavid stat is mind boggling that he didn't draw a penalty. Um, you've got to understand that a penalty is a penalty. And you know what? The players will adapt this. Oh, it'll all be special teams and it'll be BS hockey, just power plays. No, it won't. If you are consistent and you call a penalty a penalty, unless you're brain dead, players are going to say, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And the stars shine. Right now, as Bryn said, the marble thing, I've heard it before. People aren't paying the kind of dollars they're paying uh, to see uh, a rodeo out there when it comes to Dreisaitl and McDavid and Matthews and McKinnon. Go right down the list. Let these guys play. They are what draws fans to the game. Skill sells tickets. We don't have you for very long. i got to ask you one other question uh, on the Oiler front, and that is uh, the Ken Holland presser at the end of the season. A lot of things are said. Uh, you know, he also holds his cards close to himself because he doesn't want to give everything away. The one comment that stood out for me and I went, you know what? I love to hear that. And it wasn't him talking about the ultimate goal. Obviously everybody wants to win the Stanley cup. Only one team does at the end of the year. A lot of teams have gone a long time between cup wins, but the one thing he said that I really liked, and I, I want your thoughts on this. He talked about the fact that his ultimate goal 
is to get the team into the dance every single year. Build a program yeah. that gets you into the postseason, and then you take it from there. You see where you're going to go. And I'm thinking, that's exactly it. The goal for me isn't the season. It's get into the postseason and then hope that you're on a roll. Hope your goalie's playing great. Hope a lot of bounces go your way. Maybe you win a few of those overtime games. And it may, amazing things happen. We just talked about 2006, that series against the President Cup trophy winners, the Detroit Red Wings. Oilers had all of a sudden all these wonderful things go right, and they only got in on the last week of the postseason. But you got to get into the dance. Yeah, well, I mean, in order to have that happen, you have to continue to have success in drafting and developing players. Because in a in a cap system, you have to have productivity from entry-level players. That also means the coaches, the coaches have to be open to playing uh, those players and living with mistakes from those players as well. Right. So that that is so it has to be an entire I, I totally appreciate what he uh, what Ken's saying. Um, I do think he inherits he inherits a situation where there's a base in place. And and nobody should have revisionist history here. When Peter Shirelli came aboard. The fans wanted the proverbial Oilers old boys out of that mix at that time. Correct. So yeah. what extent they were involved, right? And so, you know what? Shirelli was given carte blanche and built the team in a path. And the team, I remember Chris McFarland telling me this from uh, Colorado in the 16-17 season. You can look at how bad Colorado was. They were bad. That was amongst the worst seasons of the last 25 years in the NHL. He said, Bob, we're too slow and we're going to base our team built on speed carrying forward here. And he goes, you guys are getting heavy. And it's still about speed. You know, the game's moving in a certain direction. So, um, you know, I think that Ken's inherited a good situation because he's got McDavid, Drysaddle, and uh, Nurse. Those, And then they've got, you know, they've got a couple other picks on the fence, Broberg and Bouchard. Holy Arby. Obviously, he's now a better player than maybe we thought a year ago at this time. Yamamoto, I think he's going to bounce back and have a real good year next year. Yep. They've got McLeod and Holloway coming. And they got Sam Rukov coming. They should be, in all honesty, guys. They should be in a position. If you, I don't know how much you heard the show, but for the last two years, I never said the Oilers were a top eight team. I mm-hmm. said they're in the next tier, 9 through 16. And they finished 12th and 11th overall. And they had great special teams which meant they weren't a great five-on-five team, right? Yeah. They were in a good spot, right? So, actually, this year they finished, I think, fourth or fifth in the league in save percentage. At least at one point, they were as high as fourth. Maybe they finished seventh overall. Actually, I will tell you in three seconds exactly where they finished. Look at him go to his notes. Talk about prep. They went, they, they went, they went from 27th to 14th to 7th in save percentage over the last three years. Yeah. That's the argument that you potentially say come back with. Their power play went from 9th to 1st to 1st. Their PK went from 30th to 2nd to 9th over the last three years. Um, and their shots for have gone from 28th to 29th to 15th. And shots against 19th to 20th to 21st. So they've been flat on shots against... They'll build a. They'll have the money to build a more competitive, more complete team this year. Will they win? I can't guarantee you that. No. I. 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 But I'm with you, Brent. I. I totally agree. I think we're looking at a six or seven year window where Edmonton's going to be a top eight team in the NHL. And where so, they take and it's that? It's going to be interesting. Well, and, and I'll throw this at you. Like they, they got the defense. They've got the top end forwards. They've got some other forwards coming. 
not a lot, but some. They got they definitely got a lot of defense prospects, and they got one really good top end defenseman. Um, and there's one position where they could use a homegrown product that could help them. Now Skinner's coming. Yeah, I'd say he's a B grade prospect, and I'm going to be really interested to see where Sebastian Cosa goes in this year's draft because <laughs> that that to me, Cam Moon and myself went to. Eight of the 11 games the Oil Kings played mm-hmm. at home. We couldn't physically go to the other three because they were playing at home and we were broadcasting games at Chet. Okay. And uh, Kosa started seven of those eight games. Obviously, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism. He was their toughest guy. Like they didn't have a really physical team. And there were some teams that took some liberties and some of his players. And he was the guy coming out and giving guys, you know, the occasional, uh, you know, the old cheese board in the side of the head or doing a little, you know, standing up for his team. I, and I'm like, I love this guy. And I could see the scouts seeing it too because there were a couple of those games there was because Dylan Gunther was there as well. There were like 21 games. There was 29 scouts the game. And I think he's going to end up going top 19 for sure. And the question is, do you have to get creative to maybe even move up to get him? But that's the one position where I'd argue, guys, they don't necessarily have. Like, you look at Bouchard and Broberg, their defense, here's here's what I'm going to tell you. They got tremendous top-end leadership, okay, because those guys are committed. They've got good support forwards coming. Yep. But they're, they don't have great depth there. So they're going to have to sign. They're going to have to buy some guys. They've got a lot of depth on defense, and their defense is going to get bigger. Like by the start of the 23-24 season, which is two years from now, Nurse, Broberg, 6'4", 6'4 uh, Bouchard, Larson, because they're going to get Larson. I'm sure they're going to get Larson resign here. Yeah. So Bouchard, 6'2", and, and Larson, 6'3". Like that's that's a bigger defense. And then and then Sam, one of Sam Marukov or Nimalina might be the third pairing left shot D at 6'3", or 6'6". So that is going to happen. And so it's... I'm pretty confident that there'll be a, I can say top 18 next year. Sorry, you're going to say, Brent. You've got a radio show to do, so we got to let you roll. But can we, okay. and, and we haven't had you on, and it's almost a year and a half. Uh, we were interrupted by COVID, cancer. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, so. Yeah, you're looking good. Well, thank you. I feel great. Uh, let's, uh, let's do one thing. Let's get a hold of you in August when it's a little quiet on the hockey front. We can talk about Elks. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. Because the one thing I do miss about you on the radio is I loved it when you talked about a lot of different sports. So let's, like, can we make it, can we write that in stone right now that we're going to get you can back I, soon? Can I, tell, can, I tell, can I tell a story about going to the University Cup? And uh, it was in 2002. And the Bears went in as the, 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 anyways, they had a trivia contest. Okay. And so it was just hockey. And so I did okay. okay? Uh, no, no surprise. Yeah. No, no, like it was, it was like in front of like a thousand people. And I got all three answers within like two minutes, but you know, I'm a guy that would later. So two years later, we're at an SID conference and they did a trivia contest on NCAA football with all these American SID guys. And they all knew their own conference, but they didn't know. And that's it. (laughs) And I cleaned their clocks. 
Oh, man, it was funny. Oh, Brent, I, yeah, you know what? We'll talk Alabama football. We'll talk Edmonton Elks. Um, yeah. And uh, and whether, and, and we got to talk about Robin's passion for international soccer. Yeah, he's not watching Euro 2020. I am already. Love the goal I saw today. Uh, I'm cheering for Wales. They could be out of it in another week if they don't beat Turkey. Uh, anyway, what do we want to talk about? Soccer. Enough about soccer. Let's cut it off. Let's go. All right. Hey, Bob, thanks for your time. Uh, tell everybody Anytime, where guys. they can reach you and how they can get a hold of you and where they can hear you. And that's pretty much everywhere. All right. Uh, well, you can tweet me at Bob underscore Stoffer. The show is available 630 Chad, noon and two. It's called Oilers Now. Uh, Oilers broadcast with uh, two great partners, Jack Michaels and Cam Moon. And then obviously Rob Brown and Reed Wilkins uh, supporting those shows as well during the course of the season. I think they're going to have me back for another year here. So If only yeah, the probably. two play-by-play guys would have more energy. You know, uh, yeah. just the two, if those it's two guys perfect, could just pick it up a notch. I don't have to. I don't. Have, I could sit there and be the even keeled one. <laughs> oh my God! Hey, uh, thanks for your time. We'll talk again soon. Okay. For sure, guys. Take care. See you. There you go. Bob Stoffer joining us on The Outsiders on this edition. And, of course, The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Okay, uh, what do you think of that today? Bob brought it, as he always does. You don't have to ask Bob that many questions. The nice thing is, uh, usually when he's talking, often at length, you're learning something. And uh, that's probably why his show does so well. And... Uh, why people want to hear what he's got to say. He's got a real, you know what, Bryn? And, and you know, it's different when you're there all the time and it's been a different season for everybody that covers the Oilers, but you get a guy who's got a real sort of finger on the heartbeat of the team. You get some stuff you don't usually uh, don't necessarily get from anybody else. And right now, Bob's that guy. Well, he keeps bringing up that I kind of got him started. Well, on traditional radio anyway, Bob had been a broadcaster and had done the sports information stuff at the University of Alberta for years. I've known Bob a long time before he was even on the air when we brought him on in, I think, around 2002, 2003. But, but for me, bringing Bob onto the radio as I was programming what was then Team 1260, which is now TSN 1260, was a total no-brainer for me. All I had to do was convince the general manager, Marty Forbes, that, hey, this guy can do a show. And I know another guy who can do a late-night show named Jason Greger. And so we basically pitched uh, show ideas to both guys. So they jumped on it, and look where they both are. So uh, Bob, is Bob a surprise to me? Not in the slightest. I knew Bob could do this right from the moment I met him. And he was talking about the trivia contests. You're not going to out-trivia Bob Stoffer very often. I can tell you that right no, now. No, if, if, no. If you can. You could just say, who won the Stanley Cup in 1977? He'd be able to tell you right, right now. It's just a, yeah. Who won it in 1953? We'd be able to tell you. I mean, Bob is, uh, he's a walking encyclopedia of sports. 
that's why it'd be kind of fun to have him on to do a show where we're not talking about hockey because I know that he loves talking about everything else in sports, mm-hmm. not just hockey. Uh, Robin, before we go, feedback, really important from everybody. You can email us at theoutsiders@shaw.ca. You can also check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It's at Outsiders2020. Somebody said, why don't you change it to 2021? Well, I bet you we probably couldn't. Somebody's probably taken that. But uh, Outsiders2020 is uh, when we get started. That's the handle on Twitter. Also, make sure you tell your friends and subscribe or follow us. All you have to do is click on our RSS feed. And that means every time we drop a new edition of The Outsiders, you get it immediately on your mobile device or wherever you're uh, downloading stuff from. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts. We could go on and on. YouTube we're on. And we're I, one thing that's really interesting to me, we're gaining some big traction on YouTube, and I love it, and getting feedback from people on YouTube. So that's fantastic as well. But the other thing too, we're looking for sponsors. Obviously having Brent McIntosh and the McIntosh group come on board is great, but we're uh, looking to do some other sponsorship with people. We'll look and create some features as well. So just make sure you track either Robin or myself down and away we go. That's it for today. Uh, the, the big news, if you missed it off the top is the Canadian football league is returning and that's great news. The, uh, the schedule is uh, scheduled to come out. I like the fact we're talking about a schedule scheduled to come out. And uh, yes. that will be shortly. We'll find out exactly who's playing, who, when, where. It's a shortened schedule, but they're going to be playing. We'll see how late they play, whether or not they're going to be playing into early December or not. But I'm sure we could do the math on it if we get a calendar. Robin, that's it. Anything, uh, anything we missed out on today? No, I think I'm good. Uh, nice full show. Uh, I say let's go. Okay, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Have yourself a good one. Bye, bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs>